morning, but I hope everybody's well. Happy Thursday for those that are here live. Happy whatever day it is a week for you that you're tuning in, wherever you're tuning in. Thanks so much for being here. We've been talking about this concept of the wall, of fighting the wall. I've been thinking about this since we've been talking. The, I'm just trying to get the coffee. The process of growth, the challenge of growth, the process of what happens once we get to a situation in which we have to do things that are unfamiliar. And the fact that they're unfamiliar makes us project them to be maybe harder than they're going to actually be. This week's Shabbat show coming on tonight with God's help, we have a story of uh, espionage. It's a really cool show. We interviewed yesterday the person who was on Sayeret Matkal, which was the elite commando unit that that freed the people from Entebbe. I just got off the phone with an interview just now. We did an interview um, with the person who was involved in the Eichmann capture, who was a Mossad agent for 30 years. Like, this is sick. This is awesome. And we're talking about this concept a little bit about getting through the unfamiliar. Recognizing that what's out there may seem scarier than it actually is when you're in it and how to get through that. But that's how life works. Not everyone's going to be helicoptered into a small little city north of Beirut at 19, like the individual I interviewed today. Or being on an airplane to Uganda to save 140 hostages at 23. But in our lives, we have things that are unfamiliar to us. And they come across as walls made of stone. But really, if you break them down and all you got to do is be great for a few minutes, those walls, many of them are really made out of cardboard. They look like they're made out of stone. Because if you have to change your life immediately today, you can't. And that will be stone. If you, but if you have to change your life for a few moments, if you have to be great just for a few minutes, then that wall that looked like stone is really just cardboard. And this is what we're trying to get at, is recognizing it. Even though your brain may tell you something else. Even though what looks to you as something that you can't possibly do, you don't really know that. And what happens when you're at the wall, the wall can be a phone call. The wall can be a moment of prayer. The wall can be a book that you need to read. The wall can be an idea that you want to be able to put. The wall can be getting up and speaking in front of people. The wall can be a million things. That's the next stage of your personal growth that you deep down know, because when you feel inspired, what comes into your mind is this action. If you go to a funeral and hear someone speaking about somebody and you feel inspired to strengthen the relationship, that is the wall. When you have a minute to get off the treadmill of life and think about what you want to be, that's the wall. Every one of us has a wall that's in front of us that is the next stage of the growth that we're scared to go through because it's unfamiliar territory. Our brain will always tell us, don't go near that. 
And the reason why it's so hard for us is because when we get to that wall, we start asking questions like, oh my gosh, it's so hard. Why me? Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? Why does someone else have a great life? You ever have this problem? We did this. I remember when I was in, I was in Texas I don't know, for the book, I don't know, three years ago. I was doing a book tour, I don't know, three, I don't know what it was. So the agent, that, the agency that we hired uh, booked us on TV. It was a lot of fun. So we went down to Fox in Texas. I'll never forget my buddy Ari Chabad and I woke up early in the morning, drove to this relatively small studio. And New York is a whole different world. And in LA, it was a different world. In LA, you sit in a green room. We did this in LA too. In LA, you go to this massive like corporate park. You sit in like a fancy green room. The guy in front of you is like a you know, celebrity. The guy behind you is a celebrity, right? They call you out with like a lady comes in with like a headset. You wait on the thing. It's like a, in Texas, like you go to like a small little parking lot. It's awesome. It's so personal. You don't even, there's no green room. There's like a tiny little green room. You just go sit like, you're like behind like the stage from Fox or like NBC, whatever it was. And like, you're just sitting behind the stage and like two minutes and they put you right in front. And the guy asked me, we were talking about the brain. And I didn't even know he was going to go in this direction. He says to me, um, if, you, if you look at the mind and how it's neuroplastic, which means whatever the exposure is, how does it work with social media? And we had, started having this conversation on air about it. And it was so fascinating. And this is, I guess, his agenda where he was pushing towards, which is we are, so to speak, so we have selective vision when it comes to other people. Because we don't see everything with other people. And back in the old days, when you saw somebody, you know, you didn't see them that much. But in the new world, when you have social media and you see people a lot, they just all seem perfect because you're not seeing the 30 takes till that picture came out, right? You're not seeing that that family was like yelling at their kids. Like, if you don't smile, I'm going to kill you. And then everybody smile. All you see is the smiled picture of all the kids that are matching perfectly by the, by the, you know, by the rocks and the ocean as the, the waves hit the rocks and they smile. And you're thinking, what an amazingly well-behaved family. Like, why are my kids killing each other? Like, what am I doing wrong as a parent? You didn't see that those kids were basically threatened with their life. They didn't smile for 10 seconds. And then after it was done, they push each other into the water. We have selective memory when these things happen. And so once you get to the wall in your life, you look around at people that seem like they have it all together. They don't have it all together, but it looks like they do. And you ask, like, why, why is this hard for me for? Why is my blink difficult? Career, marriage, academics. Why is it hard for me? What's wrong with me? It's easy for them. They seem like they have it together. It's not true. It's not how life works. Nobody's got it together. Everyone's fighting something. Everyone's got a wall. And things that are hard for someone else isn't hard for you. And things that you think are easy for people sometimes aren't easy for people. But when you're at that wall, whatever it is that you're about to do, and you start asking the questions of why me, and it's so hard, 
what happens is, is that you now have to suck out energy from the source that you have that was designed to get you through the wall. Your soul can destroy walls. Just think about it. I was interviewing a guy in the Mossad today. Just think about that for a second. Mossad. The Mossad didn't exist 70 years ago. The Mossad, he was telling me today on the thing, he was telling me on the thing today that like everyone thinks that like the Mossad's like a bunch of James Bonds. It's like we're a bunch of Jews. We're not James Bonds. We're not pilots and shooting in the air. We're just regular people. Then how do they do it? It's the recognition that it's, it's not easy. There's a wall. But when you go at that wall, you get the strength to fight the wall. But only when you use all your energy to move forward. Why this? Why that? Why me? It's so hard. I'm looking into the future and seeing that it's going to be impossible in five years, in two years, in one year. All of this thinking, what it does is it starts to drain you. It takes the energy that you have that was given to you for the wall in front of you and it redirects it to this thinking that is the disempowering thoughts that suck out that energy. Now, if you're like most, the problem is, is that you, in your core, know that you should be greater. That's the hardest part about life, honestly, is that in our core, we know we should be more. Sometimes you see somebody who's totally like clueless to this. And they're like, what? Like, I'm, I'm okay. I, I don't do anything wrong. I don't commit any crimes. And like, they're wonderful. God bless them. But then you see people that are like, no, I, I, I think I should be more. My gut is if you're listening to this, you're probably one of those people that deep down know that you could be more. That's a hard thing because that's a, that's a nag that's always in the back of your mind, never letting you rest. You almost wish you didn't have it sometimes because then you could rest. But that feeling of wanting to be more is what's driving you. So when you hit the walls of your life and we're too scared to go through that wall, how do we get the fix? How do we get the fix? The answer is, is through entertainment or through other people's lives. That's why the entertainment industry is the most powerful thing we have. And if you look at entertainment, you could basically break it down to one major plot that plays out all the time. And if you've studied film, you see this is called the hero's journey. And if you've studied how the arc of stories go, it's all—it's almost always the same thing. There's a couple of exceptions, but for the most part, it's, it's almost always the same thing. It's hero has a life. Hero gets a challenge. Hero has a hard time with that challenge. Hero is winning. Hero 
loses, Hero fights again, and Hero wins. Joseph Campbell, The Hero's Journey. Take any movie that has been any that has been successful in any way, whether they're made up characters or they're real characters, or take any movie. Just go through any, and I haven't seen one in a long time, but I guarantee you, whatever is the latest movies out there, and you just think about it, it's the same story. They break up, they get back together. They break up, they get back together happily ever after. He doesn't look at her because she's lower than him in whatever status class they're in, right? Then she does, then she doesn't, then she does. He's a couch potato, then he plays and he loses and he wins, right? Every story is the same story. Why? Why do these stories seem to be, why why do we have an, an insatiable thirst for the exact same story that takes place in multiple venues? And it's just an, an iteration of it. These are fake characters. They've got special powers. They come to this world. Things are going good. Then the evil shows up. The characters look like they're winning. Then the evil starts to win. And just when the evil's about to win and the world is about to be destroyed, the characters find some energy that they didn't have before, grab the sword, and win the day. It's the same story. And if that wasn't enough, we have an industry called sports, which I personally love, especially football. It's the same story there. Teams are down, teams win, tough games, championships. And we look at people. Have you ever noticed this? For those who are sports fans or are related to sports fans, listen to their language. And I'm this guy, so I can tell it to you because I know personally. We use words like hero and legend about people who just throw balls at each other, which, by the way, I'm subscribed to. Tom Brady's a hero because he dropped back and he almost got tackled and he still see. Now at the end of the day, they're just playing a game in the backyard, just more people watching and nicer fields. So why do we obsess ourselves? Why is the world obsessed with sports or with movies or with books or with politics? What's happening? The same story. It's that somebody else is fighting a wall. And when I watch, and by the way, and you see this with parents sometimes, they drive their kids insane to accomplish things, to be great at school, to be great at sports, to get into that university. Sometimes it's because they want what's best for the kids. Sometimes it's because they're living through their children. Because it really doesn't matter if their kid got that pass in third grade peewee football. And he's really not going to be a professional football player. But there is some part of us that knows that I should be fighting the wall every single day of my life. And if I'm not, I got to get my fix from somewhere. So I get it from the world. I get it through other people. As a kid growing up, I knew in my core, I had to fight my wall, which could have been sports. It could have been my grades. As a high school kid, what was my wall? Studying? 
know, taking the shot in the basketball game that I was scared to take and miss because my friends and my coach would think whatever it was, it could have been, I was scared of that. So I watched Rocky four because Rocky four had a wall. When I watched Rocky four go up against Drago, which was the greatest wall of all time, there was a piece of me that was the Rocky four, which is why I could have watched it 10 times. Because I get a fix of being a hero when I watch somebody else be a hero. So it's hard for me to call my whoever. And it's not as dramatic because there's no music behind me in real life. And I don't make that call. Or I don't try that project. Or I don't take that responsibility. And I feel a little bit subconsciously bad about myself. So you know what I do? I get into my couch and I turn on Netflix and I watch some episode of somebody else doing it. I watch somebody else be so smooth in how they talk. And they walk into a room and they tell the guy off. And it's perfectly timed. And it seems real, right? And everyone's blown away. And in my subconscious, I have some connection to that because I'm experiencing it, even though through somebody else. And I get my little hit. It's like a drug. I get my hit of greatness. And then the next day comes and I'm still too scared to do my what I'm supposed to do. So I go back that night and I watch another show. And this time it's about the president and this and this happens. And he's got to make a decision as to whether or not he sends in the troops. And I'm like going out of my mind. And I get my hit again. And then a new show comes out. And then a new movie comes out. And then a new book comes out. And then the playoffs are on. And then I hear a story about this in the neighborhood. And then I follow this person. Whatever, whatever, whatever. And each and every person has their own thing, whether it's something that on a screen or something in the neighborhood or it's a family friend or a kid, whatever. We get our hits of greatness through other people. And by the way, sometimes it's even religious. It's hard for me to study. Religion is, is a complicated game. You have to go into a new world spirituality, religion, tradition. These are things that don't necessarily make the most sense from a sensory perspective, which means I have to adopt new thoughts and behaviors and ideas that are hard for me sometimes. I got to do things that are selfless at a level that I'm not ready for. So instead of doing it, I tell stories of other people that lived earlier years than me when they were just unbelievably righteous. And I feel better because for a second, yeah, in the beginning it inspires me, but then I start to like almost get the hit through that versus doing the hard work myself. It's a drug. Stuff's a drug. You could sit all day on a couch and watch everyone else be great and feel good about yourself. Just enough until you wake up the next morning and start again. You see it all the time. You see people on the train. I don't know if those of you have taken a train. I take a train in sometimes to the city from Long Island. All the time, people just, they come to the train, they sit down, and they're just watching screens. They're back. How are you doing? 
I'm watching someone else live a great life. And all I got to do is keep on watching my whole life, other people living great lives. And I get that drug of a great life. And that just distracts me from the wall that's in front of me. The hard work that I got to put in to actually have a great life. Because great lives don't happen unless you go through effort. And they don't even happen when you're done because life isn't two hours long. I was telling the guy today who was involved in the Eichmann capture, I was saying to him, like, how long did it take? Because on Netflix, I think it's like an hour and 45 minutes until you got Eichmann. Like, he's like, what? It took him like a month to get the pictures. It's hard work in real life. It's slower. There's no music. Just real life. And if you allow yourself to get your hits of greatness from the outside world, trust me, it'll give you a synthetic boost that'll be much quicker. It's easier to have candy than to have real food. It's much easier to feel good with alcohol than it is to feel good about life. Ask all the hidden heroes that we have that are recovering. But once we start looking around and going, I'm not living through somebody else. I got my own walls. You know what? When they come cheer for me for my walls, I'll come spend all my money and cheer for them for their walls. Then you start taking all the energy that we got and we don't, we don't diffuse it to self-loathing, to overly scary projections, to hits of greatness that aren't us. We put it into our own walls. And then the wall goes down. And you realize that that wall was really cardboard. All right, everybody. Oh, thanks so much for being here. Have an incredible, incredible day. Identify the wall that's in front of you and just go right through it. Just today. All right, everybody. Have a great day. With God's help, I can't wait to see you again tomorrow. Have a great day.